1: The Portuguese commentary on Samuel Marks' conversion. To win their game against Fiji. The first victory for Portugal in the Rugby World Cup ever. Ever. And this is their second Rugby World Cup. Yep. Their last game of this tournament. Yep. And they've gone and pulled it out of the bag. Portugal first tried to qualify for the Rugby World Cup in 1991, right? The first time qualifying was available because the first tournament was invitational. not right? They didn't get very far in that. They didn't manage it. 1993, however, they had a much bigger game. They managed to get all the way to qualifying against Wales. They had a final matchup. If they'd beaten Wales, they would have qualified. They lost 93-0. No, it was 101-0. They lost by a huge margin to a degree that put the sport back a decade in yeah. Portugal. Everyone well, God, we're miles off the pace we're going to forget about this. We're going to leave this. They then scramble back and a lot of that team, coached by, you know, the member of that team itself, comes forward and qualifies for 2007. We've covered every game they played in 2007 yes. and we love that team. We love that, that team. Was, that was such a fun, enjoyable, passionate team mm. who, they were a great rugby team, but they were no near the standards of the Rugby Cup, pool that they were drawing, yeah. in, right? They were, um, they were happy to be there. They enjoyed it. We enjoyed watching them But they lost by over 100 points to the All Blacks, with a try scored by Rui Cordero. That's the thing, though, isn't it, right? It's the fact that they had Rui Cordero, who was a full-time vet who played a bit of rugby on his weekends. Yeah. And he was in the national team because, you know, he was a decent scrummager for what he was. And what he was was a fat bloke in his mid-30s. Yeah. And he was wonderful. But, like, the joy was seeing that team of amateurs give it a lash and give it a go against the likes of Italy and against the likes of the All Blacks. And that was the amazing thing about Portugal in the Rugby World Cup the last time they qualified, was you could have Rui Cordero's opposite number in that game. Was Kevin Mialami? (laughs) Yes. You know, the fact that that could be a possible matchup, um, and Rui Cordero was excellent in that whole tournament. He was an amazing player. Um, If you don't know of him, look him up, because he is an incredible specimen of a man. But... You know, there's, there was a novelty to mm. the fact these guys were playing at all in the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, And, you know, there there are legends of the game in that team. And you're looking at Jose and Duarte Pinto. You're looking right. at Penalva. You're looking at Gonzalo Vasco and Yao Uva, All <laughs> incredible legends who have paved the way for something that's just unthinkable when you think about that. That was what was a good Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Was scoring a try against the All Blacks. In an 100-point loss. That's the last time they qualified. The last time they qualified. The last time they qualified. Right. But then the thing, the amazing thing that happened in 2007, right, is watching one of those games on TV, watching one of those matches, a really promising footballer by the name of Nuno Guayas goes and asks his parents, where's the local rugby club? Where's the closest rugby club? I like the look of this Pedro Leal guy yeah i want to be well, him one day back then pedro Leal was the only professional player i believe yeah you might have yeah, a couple yeah. in the pro day door which was far lower standard then it is now uh, other than vasco river vasco so vasco river was playing yeah pro day or something yeah yeah um, maybe bottom end top 14 yeah actually uh and had a couple of players who played in and around there but yeah uh pedro Leal was like the one standout professional player pedro Leal um, is the nearest comparison to known as suez agada Gadas- that you, you mentioned yeah. there. you know yeah uh Squarehouse House goes down to his local rugby club. He starts playing and so does a bunch of this team. You know, there's stories throughout this team of them watching it on TV, them discovering rugby through this or their parents discovering rugby through this and them going on and kicking on and playing it. In the case of Raphael Storty, you know, say. it was geronimo portea's obviously his father played in that team yeah he was a huge part of that rafael storty was mates in school with geronimo portea that's it and he goes down for his major rugby club and here he is bloodline, like, decades later playing in a rugby world cup scoring in a rugby world cup for this rafael goes down to the rugby club and he brings his mate geronimo and he brings his mate rodrigo yeah you know the these guys all were inspired by that team and like look it's I'm going to preface thing- it now, right? Mm. We're doing this. This is not going to be the most analytical podcast. No, ever of course. To. It's that's not. what you're coming through. Th- that's not it. We're here for hype, right? Yeah. I want to just very quickly. We will we'll talk about the game and this Portugal team and everything. Um, but while we're on the to- topic of conversation here, we have to give so much glory to the 2007 lads. Yeah. Like I hope they watched that, and you know, not to go over rugby values, but I hope they raised the glass and thought like, we we played a part in that. God, I bet I bet quite a number of them were there. You know, I hope the Uvers were there. I hope you mentioned Cordero. I hope the Pintos were there. I hope this whole team, this whole gang were there together because they bloody deserve this. They put this in motion to create this day. It took them 12 years to get there. Yeah. And there's an awful lot that happened in the meantime that was perhaps not so positive and not so wonderful. But it all eventually led to this generation and this group of players thanks to that 2007 lot and thanks to that happening. And this is why expansion of the Rugby World Cup, and we're going to talk about this an awful lot, I feel. Yeah is so important because you allow even the teams that are losing by 100 points now right you have a bloody Portugal 2023 in the works for every Portugal 2007 like it's about growing the game and growing the game doesn't happen in one year it doesn't happen in two weeks it doesn't happen always in four years sometimes as in the case of Portugal it's taken 12 years it's taken 12 years and you have got even without qualification in the meantime in the way like you've seen Uruguay have really cleanly improved World Cup on World Cup right where they went from just qualifying just being happy to be there in 2015 to winning a game in 2019 to now giving France the bloody favourites for the tournament a proper game and winning a game as well. And and God knows what they're going to do in four years' time. Exactly. Who knows where they can go in four years' time. There's going to be a kid going down the rugby club in Chile saying, I want to be Rodrigo Fernandez." Exactly. There's going to be a child who's like five years old saying that. And, you know, it's going to be in 12 years' time when that kid's 17 and he's in an academy Mm. and we're going, this is a seriously promising kid that we've got here. And equally... As Rodrigo Fernandez, there's going to be kids in Portugal wanting to be Francisco Fernandez. Yes. You know? Uh, that's what's so important about these. As you say, it doesn't, you can't judge this by going, oh, they've lost games now. Mm. That means they're useless. You know? Exactly. You can't go, let's cut down the World Cup. You ha- Yeah, it's all about expansion. It's all about the next generation of the one after that. And that's exactly why this is so exciting and so yeah. important. And why this particular game and this particular team, most of all, means so much and matters. so. Much. Like, this matters. It's, it happened. It's clicked. Yeah. It happened for Portuguese rugby, but it also happened for world rugby. Yeah. Like this is the model. This is it. This is what's possible. It's there. Like world rugby can't ignore this. But this is a quarter finalist, Fiji. Like Fiji were confirmed yeah. in the quarterfinals the same day they lost to Portugal. The same the, second they lost to Portugal. The bottom seed in this competition. Portugal were the last team to qualify. They were number 20 on the bloody tier list, on the team list, on the sheet list of the teams in this competition. Yeah, yeah. Right? They were the last team in there and they've beaten one of the final eight. There's a possibility they beat one of the final four, depending on how that game the next week goes. And this is the second World Cup in a row, of course, where Fiji have been beaten by yeah. a bottom-seeded team. Yeah. Um, and first and foremost, congratulations, Fiji, on getting, getting yeah. to the quarterfinals. Oh, we'll amazing. cover that yeah. another time. I'm so delighted for them. I think this Fiji team's incredible. But... I'm sorry, we're here to hype up Portugal for yeah. the time being. Yeah, and that's it. This has just been coming for such a long time. Yeah. And what's also interesting is this is the first game they've won. Yeah. Because there will be more. There, there will, be, will more. be more. And I'm I'm saying that. And the thing is, people, people might go, oh, this is going to age really badly. And I don't care because... This is an extremely young Portugal team. It's not like these lads have all been playing together for... Well, they have all been playing together for 17 years, but through age-grade and minis and so on. But it's not like, outside of maybe the front row, arguably the front five, these guys have been working towards this as a national team. Yes, and Marks. Um, As a national team have been working towards Mm. this for a long time. It's no, it's the pathway has been working towards this for a long time. And this is the first of many wins, because you look at, you know, Geronimo Portea, who has been... I would say outstanding in pretty much every single game. I think he might be the best fly half of the pool stage. I think I agree with you. I think I, agree I think he you. might be the best. I can't stage. think of who's like been George better. Ford's been outstanding. Yeah, um, Sexton's obviously brilliant. Yeah, but like I don't know if he's been solidly best than Portea. Yeah, and like, like Ford had, had pound for pound, I think Portea has been the best pool stage. Ford had best a, best quite a quiet, quiet game against Samoa, whereas yeah. um, Portea has been outstanding in every single game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's the, he's the most consistent. Um, you know, you look at him, he's 22. Yeah. Rodrigo Marta, 23. You know, um, like, Susha Guedes is 26. He's got another World Cup and a half, maybe two in him. Yeah. You know, um, and he's one of the older players in the squad. Like, um, the whole squad is just stacked with really young talent, especially the back line. Yeah. I mean, Rafael Storti's just turned 22. Like, he's, yeah. this year, like, he is... An absolute superstar, not in the making anymore. Like He yeah. is now a superstar. Yeah. Like He's been on Stade Francais' books for a couple of years. They signed him after the Under-20s World Cup, where he was unbelievable and scored about a billion tries. Like, I think it was something like eight tries in four games. We've not even seen Vincent Pinto, you yeah. know, who's been starting for Breathe and has been exceptional. Mm. You know, like There are players in this team who we're looking at now and going, look at the potential these guys have. And we don't know what contracts they're about to sign. We don't know what phone calls they're receiving tomorrow morning. But this is the thing, right? This is another important point, I think. And it's something Santiago Arrata raised after one of the Uruguay games recently, where, yes, it's very good and well to say, we need these players, we need these teams to be playing games against T1 opposition, Essentially, though, that's one game, right? And yeah. what you need is players like... For Uruguay, it was Arata and it was Lendeca playing in the top 14 and getting week-in-week-out exposure to that level. Yeah. Um, it makes such a difference training yeah. every day at that level. and this is the It thing... saves the national coaches a big job. Yeah. The Pro De De has been amazing for allowing a lot of these players to get that exposure. Yeah, Like, you look at a lot of this team and they're playing in the Pro Day De, De. We joke about Pro De De, but it is a genuinely excellent quality of rugby. Yeah. Because it does, often in Tier 2 cases... Uh, it exposes young players to the roughest side of the sport. You yeah. Know? Really talented kids, especially like backs, you know, uh, and it's a chance to express themselves and then make that step up to top 14 level, premiership level or URC level, sometimes even MLR level. Because of the, I think that's the thing, MLR is the other one that's doing this. Yeah. MLR and the Pro de are competitions where there is money on the line, there is pressure to get results, there are, you know, boards and backing and everything else where you need that, but it's not like the Premiership and it's not like the URC and it's not like the Top Fourteen in a little bit of the Top Fourteen maybe, where there is pressure on you to be picking players from the host nation. Yeah, right. Like the Premiership obviously has things in place for players have to, certain number of players have to be qualified to play for England. Same in England, which is Sorry, by Yeah, the way. but same in Wales, same in Ireland, same in Scotland. Um, Same in, you know, most of the countries. France obviously had the GIF registered thing. So there are players like Samuel Marks who's played for Portugal, but is GIF registered. So that's not a problem there. Um, But the Pro Day Dut, because there's pressure on that, same with MLR has allowed these players to get contracts and exposure. Mm. And I think it's more important, frankly, like, yes, you want to build and develop players for the national team. And yes, that's important. But like, speaking as an Osprey's fan, I personally want to see, you know, they, they need a hooker. I'd love to see, like... Bloody Mike Diego Escobar. The yeah, Mike Tasher. You know, I'd love to see one Four of those years, come over. Mike. Yeah. Um and you know, they need to scrum off my fellow Tori Albert's top of my list. Samuel Marks would be a very, very good signing as well. Yes. But the thing is, right, when you look at the Premier League, something I love about looking at those is, you know, when you speak to fans of whatever team they know inside out all these players and they're all from different nations all over the world and it makes it feel like a global game and it makes that league feel more exciting for having world talent in there. And I remember when I first got into rugby and I discovered that like, the Osprey's team had an Irish international in it, had a Scottish one and it had a bunch of Kiwis and Fijians and Samoans and Tongans and whatever. And, you know, I remember the first time when Filippo Levy and Tommy Bo were playing the same team. Yeah. It was like Ireland's Top try scoring the like Nikki Walker on the bench. Yeah, right but right? I remember them. mentioning he's the Samoa captain, Felipe Levy at the time, and you're like, oh wow, that's amazing. He's kind of in there, and it like makes it feel so much bigger. And that has gone backwards in terms of play, these players coming in. And I really, Massive really event. hope we're starting to see this coming because I think it's good for the sport to just have more nationalities, more people in there, more variety. Um, I don't know. I I love it, and a lot of these players are good enough to be playing at the absolute top level, as we've just seen today. Yeah, and somebody has to be the guy because there is a guy who comes along every now and then who is the tier two player who somebody is willing to say, to stick two fingers up to the board saying, you know, you must have this many national mm. players of tier one or whatever. Stick your fingers up to the board and just go, no, this guy's worth the risk, you know. Yeah. Like Santiago Arata is that guy, yeah. you know, like um, at Castro, like he's the guy that they're willing to go, no, we will risk one spot in on our starting team because yeah. that guy's this good. Think about when AJ McGinty, for instance, first starts playing for the USA mm. and then gets snapped up by Connell and then immediately, like, he's been a household name to like Premiership rugby fans, yeah. like, Sale Sharks and Bristol since then, yeah. you know, because he is somebody that... Obviously, he's not English and he's not a tier one big name, you know, mm. and he's somebody that is that good and has been that good at international level yeah. for a quote unquote smaller team that people are just willing to go, no, like yeah. I don't care. Geronimo Portea might be that guy. He should be that guy. He should be that guy. He could guy. be that guy. And good enough. that's not just Porteo, Like, it could be Pedro Betancourt, for yeah. instance. You know, if yeah. you're like Gloucester or Sale Sharks or someone, you know, you, you will want to sign Pedro Betancourt because he's that good, mm. you know. he's And I'm, again, I'm just picking a random name out here, but like, he is somebody who isn't or wasn't necessarily even the first choice centre for Portugal, and yet he came in and was like, oh no, I can take this up another step. I'm going to be outstanding against Fiji. I'm going to be outstanding yeah. against Australia. I'm going to be outstanding against Georgia, you yeah. know. Nicola Martins is 14. He's currently on the books. He's with, 14? He's 24, May. sorry. he has some potential. Uh, he's currently on the books with uh, Agilomene in the bottom of the Pro Day top of the Federal okay. League one. Um, I bet he rips up there. Absolutely. But the thing is, he's like a really tiny forward for the Pro uh, Yeah. But he's a like class. The same as like, I, I'm convinced Manuel Dayano is never going to play a game for the Miami Sharks. No. Like he's being bought out of their contract. i like, um, Ahdao, so yes. Manuel Ahdao. What did I say? Diana. Yeah, no, Manuel Ahdao. Yeah, oh, Diana. Manuel Diana has also signed for them though, so oh, know, it's possible. Um, Manuel Ahdao. Yeah, I am convinced he's never going to play a game for the Miami Sharks. He's going to be bought up by a top flight team, and I think Nicolás Martín should be the same. I think there's a good yeah. chance he has ha- he's played just one season the pro day Dutton and he has done that. He looks so above the level of like every game he's played. He's been Portugal's best forward consistently throughout this World Cup. I think today it was Mike mm. Tadger who we'll, we, we need to talk about later. We need to dedicate our section yeah. to him. But Martins has been so consistently solid whether it's it's that big moment factor. It's yeah. the Kizuki Jimeno factor when he yeah, first yeah. came in. And he doesn't have the presence of mm. Kazuki Himeno where like if Kazuki Himeno is in the room, you know about it. Yeah. Know? And Martage doesn't have that, but I kinda like that about him. Like he slides under the radar. Yeah. He gets turnovers when you don't know he's in the picture. He steals line outs when you haven't spotted him in the lineup, you know. Yeah. Um, he makes breaks when you don't know he's in the attacking line or what line he's running. He's just so consistently he's solid. Like a modern day version of how people talk about Bob Norster. <laughs> <laughs> like when I watch whale classic Wales games of Norster's playing, like I don't I don't see. It. It's just like a hard bastard in this headband. And that's because we don't know what the era of rugby's like. Exactly. You know? We don't understand like, that, that sport. talk of him being the shadow and like he just crept up on people and he did the sneaky stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of what he is, you know? And that's maybe a very niche reference for a yeah. lot of people listening. But yeah, I think he's just been phenomenal for Portugal. And look, I've rarely felt stupider than realising we left him out the Portugal video. We didn't mention him at all because yeah. we only focus on the back line but and their front row. I think... I don't blame us for that. Like, no. you know, the fact he went under the radar because he seems unflashy until mm. you see him put a string of games together against better oppositions. Yeah. Then, you know, you can watch Portugal play against, I don't know, like Poland or whatever, mm. um, and then win, you know, 30, yeah. 5, 10 or whatever. Um, and naturally, you won't be looking out for each individual. No, in exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas something like this, and it, it's the guy who punches above his weight. to That's go who stands in a World Cup. A little bit inside baseball, it's also the nature of like what we were doing there in terms of the two of us watching a lot of these Portugal games from the last few years back and watching a lot of them in the same weeks and having done a series of these on other teams. Yeah. And like some stuff starts to blur into one, right? And if you just did the Romania video and the number eight, you know, Sharika stands out and there's a few other players that stand out. Yeah, right, you a... get into that Portugal game and you're kind of like, you're not looking at the... The hard-working seven. When you have a player standing that's out, that's it. It's interesting. I don't want to get self-indulgent, mm. so we're going to limit this sure, kind sure. of conversation. But when we were doing that series mm. of all the teams before the World Cup, we had just done Romania and a couple of others. I think a couple of like Tier One teams. Mm. Maybe done like Scotland and Ireland or something. Um, and then we did got to Portugal. I think at that point, obviously, you you know what you're doing with it. All, yeah, making you know, yeah. like the whole video, that whole process of it. But with Portugal, that was the one I enjoyed making the most yeah, um, Yeah. because it was like, Oh, a lot of these stories are untold. I'm learning a lot here. You know, Um, it was through that, that I first discovered, for example, Gredash Mm. and um, Codato Pinto and players like that, who I looked at and went, Oh no, this is really good. I'm really excited Mm. for this. I've now learned this and I'm now kind of re-excited in a way I wasn't before to see them play in the World Cup. Like I've learned something new about them and they in particular Were particularly fun to research that for, and to find new stuff out, and to go and to edit that video, and just go, oh yeah, no, this is something to to get passionate about. My favourites to do in that series were the three teams that weren't in the last World Cup. You know, it was Romania, it was Chile, and it was Portugal. Yeah. Because you got to learn about them. I did big deep dives into all their rugby histories. That was like, I spent a lot of time just like sitting there reading up on, you know, the history of... Yeah, credit to you, I hadn't touched any of that. That But like the amount I ended up reading up on like Chilean salt mining in the like 20s and stuff and, you know, the amount I learned about like old Chilean economies and stuff and like, yeah, while you're watching the rugby and I was like... (laughs) (laughs) That's it though, because like you'd be sat at the, the... laptop like searching stuff up and you turn to me and go uh oh it's mental that um bloody christy kirika's great 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 grandfather's cousin uh was actually in the mines on that yeah. day before rugby was invented and i just go, turn to you and go this is a fucking great try <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at this, look at this offload. Valvas is a baller, man. And you go, to, oh yeah, it's a rugby channel, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. It's we have so many channel. days like yeah. that. That's a good little little insight into the division of labour in the yeah. rugby <laughs> office. If most people would consider it boring, I will do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think that's and I will fair. love it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if I can go, oh, this player who no- nobody's ever heard of. I'm just going to like talk like they're the best player yeah, yeah, in the yeah. world. Uh, but that's that, the thing, that's right? The we spent area. so much time and there were people at the time being like, you know, there's a lot of people that responded to the video saying they really fell in love with our Portugal team and they're really excited to see them play. And I think that's translated so much further for people actually seeing them play. But there's also a lot of people being like, yeah, well, these are just like, nobodies are playing the second divisions all over, don't they? Like, who are they? What we've seen in this World Cup is that these players are bloody superstars yeah. and they need to be celebrated and looked at as such, right? And you look at, like, there was a Portuguese bank advert that had Thomas Appleton, Rafael Astorti, uh and I believe David Valise on it. Um, he's had a good tournament. He's had a fantastic tournament, man. He's flown under the radar a bit, like, even more than Martins, but he's been brilliant. Yeah. Um, You know, you had there was another Portuguese. I think it was like a car advert that had a bunch of them in it as well, and had like the wolves howling and stuff. Um, You had obviously the Lobos, the the (laughs) official book of anthem. Three times on the final whistle. Was four,
0: (laughs) and Um, then we the national anthem ourselves. Yeah, of course. Oh, oh, and the national anthem. Yeah.
1: so you, you had all of that, right? And you have them all appearing and being all over. You need to be promoting the hell out of these guys, yeah. you know? Because this is like a generational set of stars. The Uruguay team from four years ago, right? They had a ratter. Yeah. They had Gaminara, who was like an iconic, fun leader, and everyone loved him. Uh, they had a few other players who were like, great, but they had a ratter was their superstar. They had Arata before he was Santiago Arata. Exactly, yeah. But this Portugal team has so many of them. Thomas Appleton, right? Tonight we had uh, Naisalevu and we had Thomas Appleton, the two most handsome men in the world as opposite captains. But you have like an obscenely handsome captain. Um, You have two wingers who are absolute superstars who can finish tries like nothing else. Yeah. Both incredibly quick, score at a ton of tries. They're not like a Josh Adams type winger who's incredibly good at the hard nuts and bolts stuff. Like, they're just phenomenal try scorers. Yeah, superstars, as you say. And also, like you say that, like, Appleton's was on the bench. Yeah. He played a cameo in this game. Like, they have the depth. Like, Jose Limo, fantastic. Mm. Pedro Bretoncourt, I've already mentioned, is... Just so consistent playing yeah. like, for the team for them. Um, and Appleton was like the guy that brought on to like calm things down. They brought him on, you know, I know it was for an HIA, so it wasn't really a choice, but he came on then at the right time. Then he stayed on afterwards, I yeah. Mean, yeah, um, and was really, really solid and just calm yeah. and just knew how to get them into the right position to win that game. Yeah. And then we have the man, the myth, the Tadja. Oh, let's talk about him. Now, what... An incredible player, and what an incredible game he has. Nicolas Martins was the official man of the match. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue with that. If Samuel Marx had been given man of the match, I wouldn't have argued with that. No. If any one of know- if either of the wingers had been given, I say, it, I would have argued Martin. that. Good God! Yeah. Raphael Storty as well. Yeah, Portea like Portea, unbelievable. Yeah. However, Fernando Pinto was really. Oh, I any think of for them- both of us though. Mike Tadger had the game of his life in the last game he's ever going to play in the Portugal shirt after yeah. a 12-year international career. If not year Like, yeah. he was incredible. And again, when we were first researching Portugal and everything, um, we fell in love with the backline. Mm. For me personally, I imagine for you as well, Tadger was the one guy in the forwards that I was like, oh, I love him though. Yeah. I just love his energy. Him he- and Fernandes. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah, that yeah. front row being so much older mm. than everyone else. Fernandez, um, before we go on to Taja, like Fernandez mm. has been brilliant this World Cup. Again, his energy is fantastic. Um, he is very much like a scrummager who will scrummage and he will do all the, the hard work, you know, the lifting in the lineups mm. and so on, and just wants no praise for it whatsoever. Oh, absolutely not. But Taja, on the other hand, um, again, he just loves it. He yeah. drives standards, he's bouncing all the way around the park. And um it was brought up on comms tonight that uh, with the stand sport comms we um, yeah, had the you woodfeed know, woodfeed uh, yeah. that's it woodfeed comms um it was brought up that Tadja is hard as nails which he is and i kind of was like oh yeah he is yeah. you know because like i almost didn't notice because he's so focused on his enjoyment of the game you know mm. that he's always grinning ear to ear the whole time the game's going on and it seems like often when you get somebody hard as nails you think about like um I don't know, like Carl Heyman or Gethin Jenkins. yeah. Marius Tinku. Marius Tinku. It's a very direct comparison of a tier two, legendary hooker, bald, solid, played for Perpignan, but always frowning, Yeah, you know, always just like, oh God, I'll get on with this and I will knock you out if you get in my way. Okay. Whereas Tadget is just like, nah, this is great. I'm Nails, no one here can knock me out, and I'm having fun playing this funny game with my friends. How good is life? Right, but this is that's the thing, you use a really important word there that I think is genuinely important how Portugal won this game and how they've come on and everything about this Portuguese team's journey, right? The word friends. Yes. Which is the word I right, like Bill Beaumont. Yeah, well it's just the great values of our game. I think today was a really important day for the Great game of rugby union. We really showcase the values by Shut Up Bill. Don't forget um, to at him if you're listening to this and just tell him that you love the game of rugby union. So, uh, Nicola Martins, right, in his post match interview, in his man of the match interview, he used a really important phrase, right? Which, one, he said this was the best moment of his life, yes. which is wonderful. Oh. But two, the other thing he said that I loved was that we're just a group of friends from Portugal. Yeah. And that's the thing, they are. So you look at this team, and we did a brief history lesson of this team right at the beginning, but most of this team came through as an under-20s side, right? And Martins was a part of that. Uh, Porteo was a part of that Storty, yeah, Storty was a part of that um, you had Pedro Lucas who was on the bench didn't get on in the end because they kept their oh, remarks on that I think, geez, wisely that's a shift isn't it ben? I know but that's it though like, Lucas is a really really promising player oh I apologise but... he wasn't on the bench he was missing oh um, was it Yalbello on the bench Yalbello was on oh, the bench didn't get on mate I yeah. love that guy we were about him earlier um, used to light up the sevens circuit and like, score some absolute world he's played scrum off in the sevens team um, he's a, one of the Portuguese players alongside Pedro Leal who I've kind of like grown up watching in my introduction to rugby in I think he's a class player so um, I love that he's playing in the Rugby World Cup but also uh, again Pedro Lucas is a brilliant player as is Yarbello. Um bringing Marks off less, more so than um, bringing Lucas on kind mm-hmm. of cost him the Georgia game you know yeah. it wasn't the, and I know Lucas gave away that penalty that led to the the try in the Georgia game. But it was the fact that Marks couldn't last the 80 was what cost them that game because he is their their game manager. I know Portea is as well, but he's their primary game manager. Um, And this time around, he managed to stick the 80 out, which is unreal. Uh, Jose Madeira is the other member of that, Um, starting 15, who was in the the under-20s team as well. And Another story who he saw the Rugby World Cup on TV and he loved it and he went brilliant can I beat people up as well where's the closest rugby club and went down and now he's a starting member of the team 22 year old Locke who's you know already got quite a number of caps and is on a pro deal at Grenoble as well so going really well for he's him he's gonna go places yeah um so just hugely exciting but like this team came through as an 20 side together right yeah. the backbone of this team is either old heads who've been fighting for this their entire career in Taja, in Marks uh, in Simoz the number 8 um or in way well, ass even? Um, who obviously wasn't playing tonight, but like yeah. have been in previous games. Um, or is an under twenty side who came through together and love each other and have been friends for a really long time. Have been playing together at age group side, been playing against each and other in local seamlessly. rugby. Yeah. yeah, have then gone up and up and up. And built to the point in which when they qualified last year, it was an upset and it was the unexpected result, right? And then they got better to the point where they're battering the USA in a World Cup warm-up. And now this. And they just keep going up and up. And the belief keeps building and they keep going from there. And Ladges case done an amazing job. But so much of it is built on them being friends. And the Lager's case post-match interview, right? He said they keep finding things and finding levels that he didn't know they had. And a lot of that is on that is on the fact that they're a team who are connected and bonded, yeah. right? And what you need is basically a coach who isn't going to be too technical with them to come in and replace Lajoska. That's the thing. Like I think they want someone local or a smaller name. Yeah. Like I think if a they don't want Eddie Jones or Jamie no. Joseph. You no. Know? No, exactly. Um, like the, the one big name is an interesting one because this is a whole type of thing I don't think I mentioned. Uh, did you see Jamie Joseph's quotes after the game from the Japan game earlier? No. Uh, he was asked about the fact he's stepping down and everything. He said, yeah, and they asked him about the next coach. And he said, I think the next coach should be someone who plays the guitar really well. And I think it's going to be. Um, Being Reese Patchell. Dave, no. Dave Rennie. Oh, okay. Oh, I quite like that. Yeah, he'd be a perfect fit. I think that'd yeah. be Yeah. Um Dave Rennie like... <laughs> is one of the few big name test coaches who I think would do a great job with. It's the funny, team. I, I kind of went like, I was going to say like, oh, it feels like the natural, like next in line, the next fit along with from like Eddie Jones, Jamie Joseph, Dave Rennie. I go, oh, yeah, I wonder why that is. And kind of realised the whole Australia connection. Um, but Um But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you are right. They don't want to go. Let's break the bank on Robbie Deans, you know. Yeah, they don't exactly. want to do that. Um, and it is a shame that Lajisca is mm. because, going because uh, he's doing an excellent job, like mm. to turn this around. But you're right. I do think that the players themselves can carry this on. Yeah. You know, as long as they have somebody who is good, who has the emotional kind mm. of um, energy and intelligence for this job. And, you know, can keep them playing this style of rugby and keep coaching them to play this style of rugby to another level. You know what I think is the best move for them? Well, They bring in someone as a direct replacement for Ladisque, um, and they start to transition Samuel Marks into being a coach. Yeah, They make him a kind of player coach for the national team. They keep him on the bench and put Pedro Lucas in as the first choice scrum half yeah. and slowly try and build him out so that by the next World Cup, Pedro Lucas can be... The author Juan Bello, but you know, Lucas being the youngster who was again yeah. part of the 20s team, um, so he can be the natural replacement. Because Samuel Marks, there's a rumor he doesn't want to retire because he had a long time not playing for Portugal due to fallouts of the union, due to issues with his clubs. Oh, mate, if tonight's anything sorts. to go by, his body is more than capable of another game. 18 minutes, and he was unbelievable. Yeah. But I just thought that was such a. I think he's such an important player. I think that was a really telling huge thing. He's so important to this thing. team and their mentality. Yeah. I think um, he is their secret source. I think I said that in the video. Like he is the secret ingredient to this team because they are such a young, energetic, excited, excited ball team. And then he's like their. I said this while we we're watching the game, but like he's like their childminder. You know, yeah. he's like their babysitter. He just comes and he goes. Okay, we can't eat all the sweets now. Sometimes we're going to need to kick it. the ball. Yeah, yeah, and he just kind of brings them down a bit. And they kind of need one player like that or one coach like that. Yeah, right, and maybe. If Once Lucas the ball's comes left in, for nine's hands, they can get carried away. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it the, has to leave nine's hands first. But then there's a tackle and they clear out and nine's like, no, we no look, we're just putting this in the air. Yeah, you this cannot overall. This me. is not happening. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. Um yeah, and that became such a huge part of how they played and how they played in all the games, particularly tonight, where I yeah. fought Marks, which is outstanding. Um speaking of kicking, I think mm. that uh, so we do this, obviously, as many listeners will know. Uh, we also do the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective, mm. where we talk about past Rugby World Cup games. Yes. Um, and the we often kind of chronologically go through and describe the game that we've just watched from past World Cups gone by. We do this with every single game, right? Um, whereas this is a little bit different. The games have just happened and we're just summarising. Yeah more so than just than describing. However, I think there is one moment in this game that we have to go back through and describe because the listeners will want to relive it. And that (laughs) is the Tadger kick. Oh, mate. So look, we talked around it a bit. Mike Tadger, I thought, had the best game maybe he's ever had in his life. I've not seen all of them, but I've put some money on that. Yeah. So obviously, he's been playing for Portugal since 2011 um he has been going an awfully long time he has played through the real ups and downs the highs and lows of portuguese rugby he's played an awful lot of pro de and some top 14 rugby you know he's in Perpignan at the minute who are currently in the top 14 bottom of the top 14 but still it counts um <laughs> and he's been brilliant for them you know consistently he's just been such a hard grafter such an, such a leader in this team such an important loves part it. of it yeah he loves it he is, as you say, hard as nails. He just enjoys being hard as nails. He enjoys playing rugby. He clearly loves not just the violent side, but like rugby in general. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah. so into it. Yeah. Um, and he's also a really key part, I think, for this world cup in particular, him and Marx being French Portuguese. Yeah. And there's a huge contingent of the crowd who are French Portuguese who travel around, who are primarily, you know, like French rugby fans, who probably have a club in the top fourteen they follow, but have Portuguese heritage, as a lot of France does. You know, there's an awful lot of french portuguese folk out there um who have traveled around and really got into this team and really supported them and really fallen in love with them and will now follow them with a passion and with a fury after this and like if france arrange a game against portugal in the next couple of years for the next autumn say or they do a summer tour there there will be huge that'll be huge yeah. in terms of people turning up and mike Taja and samuel marks are like the key talisman of that kind of community and really giving them a face um and I thought he was just like utterly phenomenal, tireless, absolutely everywhere, including at one point in the backfield. And we've all played with a hooker who definitely smokes, um, you know, usually plays in the threes, but is has been caught up to the twos mm. against his will. Is uh, in his either late thirties or early forties, probably early forties, probably late forties. Okay. And at one point, someone kicks the ball and he looks at it and goes, fuck that oh i'm in the backfield lads yeah. uh, because he doesn't want to chase it because his lungs are about to expire at which point the opposition unexpectedly kick it back and he goes oh fuck um and then he's the only man back there he has to swivel round and go oh yeah i'm going to do what the, what rugby players do in this situation not what fullbacks do just oh this is what they're doing rugby yeah. you know um and he puts in a beautiful spiral kick from the edge of his twenty two that hits touch on the halfway line. It's the fact he stops for a moment, <laughs> steadies himself, does a little thing where he turns the ball yeah, yeah. The right yeah. it's a good moment of comedy that <laughs> he it's eyes up it's really good observational spot. comedy of like, yeah. oh yeah, and this is what fullbacks do. <laughs> picks his spot in the crowd, you know, he picks up one particular fan holding their scarf and aims for the O on the Portugal. And lights up and puts his foot through it. And it's a brilliant kick. Like not five minutes beforehand, Pinto in the backfield, the actual fullback had absolutely shanked the kick in almost the same circumstances. You know, uh... and he pops up and nails it. You know that moment in Peep Show where Jeremy uh, he goes to his in- internal monologue and he um, Mark's just told him that uh, he does bi- he did um, business studies, but he wanted to do ancient history. Then Jeremy's internal monologue goes, I could tell him that's just ancient history now. He probably wouldn't like that joke. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, well, I guess that's just ancient history now. And then he doesn't like the joke. Uh, it's like you can see that moment going in, um, uh, in Taj's head where he goes, I probably shouldn't kick this. The fullback would probably bollock me. But I could just go and kick it, couldn't I? And then he just goes and does it. <laughs> when you said Marks there, I did think you meant Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, David Mitchell. David Mitchell as Samuel Marks. I would watch that I would BBC watch that. version. I would watch that. It's terrible casting. It's obviously Jason Statham. <laughs> no, but... no, Geronimo, we have to play in their half. But, no, so the, the thing about Mike Taj's kick, right, is that really brought in the other element. There's, there's, I think, four key elements of why this game was maybe the best in the tournament, one of the best in the tournament. Does another Certainly. one of them include Mike Taj doing something spectacular? Oh, no, 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 no. So okay. one was the fact that Feed you actually really good. Feed you yeah, very well. They were, yeah, they were great. I, I think we should get onto that later. Yeah. We should talk about them in a bit. Uh, one was how good Portugal were yeah another was how good Luke Pearce was like Luke Pearce yeah. had maybe the best reference to play in the he, he's unbelievable he, he always is just some of the stuff he did to just keep the game flowing just make sure the, the small little details like yeah. when um, Botti's card remained he didn't make a big show of like calling both captains in so yeah. time off blah 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 he just said um, as the lineup was setting while those are slowing down yeah he just anyway. said, look Jose it's just a yellow uh, look, why well, say it's just a yellow? Okay, yeah. happy, let's go. Uh, because the game was so fast yeah. and momentum was such a huge part of it, that it would be unfair if he killed that. Mm. And I think that was really, really good. I thought he was just like... the, the way he, brilliantly. Yeah, communicated, the way he managed the game, the decisions he was giving, the way, how fair he was, how very like consistent he was. I thought on every possible level you can judge a referee, he was phenomenal. Yeah. Just like absolutely Best amazing. ref in the world. Best, Yeah, I mean... Alongside Wayne was, Barnes. Yeah, Wayne Barnes. But um, just phenomenal yeah um but the other factor in this game right is the toulouse crowd yes and look we were in toulouse earning this tournament and it is the best place to watch oh rugby in god the world, i, love I think. it. it's just it's my favorite place we've been to in france by some distance Like yeah. I, I fell in love with that place because of its love for rugby. i want to live there is the thing yeah like i walked around and i was like technically like i I kind of want to live in Toulouse. It's incredible. It's amazing. It's they wonderful. Love their rugby out like there. it's a beautiful city. It's a really beautiful town, and it's like wonderfully kind of set and like picturesque and everything. Yeah. And it's got everything you could ever want there. There's so much going so on. So many there. baguettes. Like, yes, but then you throw in the rugby. You know, and the fan zone. We mentioned it on the France Uruguay episode, but just like that was a absolutely beautiful place to watch rugby. It was incredible. The, the stadium, atmosphere, the state. Yeah, just in the fan zone was incredible. Yeah. You then get to the stadium, and that was one of the best atmospheres, even though it was the best atmosphere to not include an Argentine. Uh, yes, <laughs> Argentine team, but based off the locals, that was the most unbelievable atmosphere. Yeah that I've ever been to for a And game. you could tell they were all people that come in week and week out, and the amount yeah. of Toulouse shirts you saw, and the amount of just people doing, you know, you heard Toulouse chants, and you heard all sorts, and, like, it was people who properly love and are committed to rugby. You mentioned before that the fan zone, the Toulouse fan zone is the only one that's been open for every single game, yeah. and been open on some days where there's not been rugby on, yeah. just because the town is that obsessed. And this was the thing, right? When they get to the backfield and they realize it's just the hooker, it's just Mike Tashi on his own. <laughs> yeah, they were going. And there was like, Whoa. there was like a roar of anticipation of people going. And I don't think that happens in a lot of stadiums. No. And then when it happened, and it was a great kick. Everyone was like both <laughs> roaring and pissing themselves at the same time. Yeah. Like it was the best crowd noise of the tournament so far. Yeah. It was amazing. Like, like Fiji took the quick throw and they're all like, yeah, but. <laughs> But it was just beautiful. Like, I think a lot of them go like, oh, yes, and they almost applaud it, where or they laugh or whatever. Yeah. But, like, it was just exactly the right noise of, like, you knew that was a crowd that bloody love it and knew the value of what they'd just seen. But here's the thing. That game, and I, I think, I definitely thought, as a camera, I said it mm. during the game, that game was exactly what the Salu's crowd deserved. Yeah, Because it was the sort of game where it was equal... Equally tactical as it was just batshit, like yeah. running rugby. Uh, I think it got a, a perfect balance of both of them. And just up the jumper stuff. Yeah. There was something there for every kind of rugby fan. Which yeah, 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 party, yeah, Which brings me on to another moment of Mike Tajer, <laughs> which was straight after that kick, the next time Portugal get an attack, he receives this pop off the floor, which he catches essentially between his knees. It was an impossible catch. And then he sells a dummy behind his back. Yes, He threw three dummies in this game and people bought two oh. of them. And like there was that, there was his kick, there was his driving for the line. Yeah, we were in the twenty-two. He nearly scored a couple of times, and the fact he went till the seventy-third minute, or something, yeah, just his work unbelievable. rate, just like he was absolutely. And he didn't phenomenal. look like he was blowing when he came off. Like no, obviously he was because well, around look at fifty-five him... minutes, right? Like I said, like he made a phenomenal intervention. I was like, well, he'll probably be off in a few minutes, but he's been brilliant. Yeah, and he played until the seventieth minute. Good God. It was phenomenal. That guy's incredible. Like if he'd been on the Fijian team, he would have been the top tackler. Wow! You know, and there were more the you know the players that made more tackles. Like Madeira, yeah. as I mentioned, made 21 tackles, which yeah. is a huge shift. He was the top tackler on the day, but like 10 tackles, you know, number four on the overall chart. Marton's making 16 as well, but like what a shift he put in. And some of those were like really tricky, really difficult, really like important tackles. I, just, I want to go back over it and just eulogise over it. I know, him. Like, I know. Shame we, we can't watch it. Yeah, I know. It's a shame that no rugby can ever be watched. Yeah. like The highlights of this game won't be shared around because of Bill, bloody Bill Beaumont. Thanks yeah. for your values, Bill. Yeah, thanks for trying to grow the game, which you know Portugal are actually trying to do. But this was the thing. I made this point on Twitter, but if you are a Portuguese man or a Portuguese woman or a Portuguese non-binary folk mm-hmm. or a Portuguese child of
0: any gender they like.
1: A Portuguese dog who fancies perhaps going on a pitch. Portuguese horse, even. A Portuguese wolf, um, perhaps most topically. And you have never watched rugby before, but you've got the sports channels, you've got all of this sorted, you've got all of that there. You're sitting alone on a Sunday night You've got the TV on and you saw something in a bank advert or you heard something on the news about the fact your national team is in the Rugby World Cup and you see it's on and you put it on and you start watching it for 10 minutes just to, you know, to see what it's like, see what's going on. That is the perfect game to get you hooked on rugby for yeah. life. Remember when it was three all at half time? I know. How mad is that? But that and was that was incredible. The best low-scoring game you'll ever yeah, see Yeah, it was off. like so side-to-side side, but not quite the edges of those yeah. sides. Like, you know, you'd see a break from one twenty-two to the next and then back the other way then back the other way. It was just incredible. It was amazing and sometimes happening in the same passage of play. Yeah. Sometimes you'd have a near try and then the other team would get it and then link up and make it down to the other end and it go in the other way again. It was amazing. But no, I just think like just to finish on the previous point, okay, like I just yeah. think this is amazing and in terms of being able to grow the game in yeah. Portugal. oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah, like the amount of people that would if they had a following game then tune in and watch that because yeah. it's prime time this is like 7 p.m kickoff in portugal it's ideal timing for just someone you know sat wanting something to watch on a sunday night which is the ideal time for people to be bored and alone um but i really hope they a lot get of people... the result they get the most dramatic win possible yeah that late kick there was i forget his name it was a Portuguese footballer tweeting about, I've got no idea how many points you get for this kick, but I lost my mind watching it. Yes. Um, <laughs> but really, people got that feeling after the Australia game, where it was like, yeah. oh no, our lads gave one of the best in the world to go. You yeah. know, uh, And even the Georgia game and the Wales game and so on. Uh, and then tuned in for that, the finale, yeah. the punctuation mark. And what you've got to hope is when the next play in February, most likely, this translates into ticket sales. And this translates into jersey sales. And there was a thing, someone at the uh, meetup, I forget the name, I apologise, uh, we did in No Scrum, No Win. Yeah. Um, shout out. Shout back out in, <laughs> back in, back in, remember back then, bloody yeah, September. September, jeez. 8th, yeah. The RDR dancing in September. Oh my god, that was um, only a month ago. Anyway. It's such a long month, man. <laughs> What's going on? Um, someone mentioned that the president of the, the Portuguese Rugby Union had put out a call on Facebook on all the official supporter groups saying please 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 if you're going to buy an official world cup jersey don't buy it from a sports store don't buy it from the rugby world cup buy it from our union officially so we get the full profit damn right damn. and right. yeah i mean i bought mine from the rugby world cup but i hope that means that they know there's a demand for tier two in portuguese merchandise That's true. as well i do hope that that makes a splash. Like, the fact they didn't have chili jerseys in their man. Like, I know. can grow up. Yeah. Like, get the good teams but, in there. Anyway. The thing is, right, what we need is all of these teams getting the support, getting the, you know, love out there. Uh, Francisco Isaac... Fantastic, Mm. fantastic journalist from Portugal uh, was at the game, posted on Twitter that he was crying, and posted a great video afterwards saying, like, the important thing is that we don't forget about these teams once the World Cup's over. You know, that we keep watching their games, we go to their games, we celebrate them, we talk about them, we demand to see them, we buy their jerseys, we buy their shirts, we buy their scarves, we talk about them that's Chile and Uruguay and Namibia and Romania as well, and whoever else. Yeah. And look, it's easy for him as a Portuguese fan to say, yeah, this nah, is important but, his but that's the thing. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, you got to... Everyone's going to stand together with all of them, right? Yeah. And Portugal is now the poster boy. Portugal is now the poster boy for what growth can occur. You know what? Chile is on a similar level as well. Um, or at least will be. Yeah. Know? They're maybe a year behind Portugal, weirdly to say they qualified earlier. Um, but they're building. They're building really quickly. Yeah. Um, And I'm just obsessed with where these teams can go. And I'm so much more excited by these teams than I am by most of the Tier 1 nations. Like, by the long If you gave me a choice between watching... Portugal and Chile are watching Ireland and the All Blacks. Like, I want to watch Portugal and Chile. Yeah. Because that is the exciting thing. That's where the game can grow. That's where things can get better. That's not It's like... the future of the game. Yeah, it's the future absolutely. Of the game. Or it yeah. should be. Massive, massive props to Francisco, yeah. Isaac, for that. Because like he has been following Portugal's clearly. Like I don't know the guy too well, but uh, he's clearly yeah. a top bloke. He's very good at well, his he... job. But he has clearly been following Portugal rain and shine for decades he's now. Said 12 years he's been covering rugby wow. in Portugal. Like as a journalist, as you know, writing about it, twelve oh, that's years incredible. Yeah, and now their their name is out there. Yeah, they're, now it's starting to peak. Good on the lad. Yeah, fair play to him. And also, while we're on the topic, I do also want to shout out uh, when we were on our way. I mentioned this briefly on uh, the other pod, or, or maybe it was a different pod. I guessed mm. it on, but anyway, um, when we were on our way to Wales, Portugal, we were on the um, on the tram mm. in Nice. Was that game played in?
0: Where's nice. Portugal? Yes.
1: Uh yeah yeah nice. We were on the tram there, and there was a bunch of people just chanting and singing in Spanish. No, not in Spanish, in Portuguese behind <laughs> us. Um, yikes. Anyway, we got off the tram and then saw this group of young lads who were probably in their early twenties mm. who were really loudly singing and chanting about Portugal. I looked at the time, and it was half ten in the morning. <laughs> um, and- that came kicked off at five forty five p.m. Yeah. And we went up the escalator out of the um, the tram stop, uh, and then we waited to like get directions. And there was a couple of other Welsh fans with us. Uh, or just like stood near us, and these this group of lads uh, with the Portugal jerseys on and with the flag like waving them about, and just like any Portugal merch you could possibly think mm-hmm. of in their hands, just came by and one by one went to every Wales fan in that little queue and went, "You're gonna lose, you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose," and told us all individually, "You're gonna lose." I want a massive shout out to those guys because um not only did they bring the energy, and I yep. thought, like, "Fuck yeah, I love this. I'm so here for these guys. I hope they come to every World Cup after this." Uh, but also, they would have been. Supported Portugal for a long time to be that dedicated they've been supporting them for a long time when they were not known as being any good when people didn't know who they were and above that these guys and I know they were taking the piss but these guys genuinely will have believed that these guys this Portugal team wins games and like it it, it is their right to go you should not fucking underestimate us we are a team there's two things on this right one is in 2019 Portugal 2018-19 Portugal were relegated to the second division of rugby Europe Mm. You know, like they were down to essentially the Six Nations C, not Six Nations B. Like they were down in the third division, essentially, if you count the Six Nations. Yeah. Um, They were relegated. They were out. They'll and blow then they were below Belgium. They were Portugal. No, yeah. Poland. They were below Netherlands. Well, they were in the same division as Poland. But yeah, okay. they are falling below Belgium, below, you know, yeah, Germany. A bunch of those like, teams. Yeah, Germany, who'd had a rise around then. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then they managed to rebuild themselves, largely thanks to that young generation of players coming through. And that's been enormous. And thanks to the likes of Tasia and Marks and so on coming back in, Dug thanks to union role. changes and yeah. all sorts. But the other key point on that is I did the Scrum 5 podcast with Francisco, um, who was great value. And we need to get on this. We need to talk to for this this very podcast. But um, he was fantastic. And he said that he worries that a lot of Portuguese fans, now they qualify for the World Cup and with how well they did in the Rugby Up Championship, off the back of that, where they beat Romania very heavily, they almost beat Georgia, they gave Georgia a real game, and they were just like, the confidence had gone through the roof and suddenly they were the number two team, you know, they won their pool, they won their division there. Um, he was getting worried that Portuguese fans were getting too carried away because a lot of them were saying we're going to beat Wales very confidently and a lot of them said we're going to beat Fiji very confidently. And he was worried that a lot of them were getting far too carried away. I was like, no, it's about giving Portugal, giving Georgia, and giving Fiji a game. Um, and here's the thing they gave Australia a game. They made Wales work very hard for it. They drew with Georgia and they beat Fiji. Yeah. That's a huge set of results. Yeah. You know, previously to today, arguably their two biggest results in their history were both draws. Yeah. Uh, and now they're finally put that team into bed and look this looked like it was going to be a draw at one point that looked very very possible but you're right like they've broken that kind of that deadlock mm. of um the mentality of like oh no we're, we're the bottom yeah. team not that they ever believed that but like, that's the i, I feel like that's the thing. else does and i feel like it does make a genuine difference i think there's something very telling as an outsider who's only been watching you know watching the team pretty closely but like watching the team as an outsider yeah the a lot of Portugal fans instantly on seeing them play well, and we have the same thing. You know, I tweeted this, but like we spent a lot of time in the office when we were making that video, going, "They're going to win a game. Yeah,
0: they're yeah, going to yeah. win a game. Like yeah. it's, it's
1: coming, it's happening." Um, but the fact that so many Portugal fans were in the mindset of "We're going to win a game. We're going to do this. We can yeah. be a tier one nation here." Immediately upon qualifying, yeah, th- like, they were all like, "Oh." They don't know how good we are, Yeah, which is our advantage. But the thing is, the team were thinking that as well. And there's yeah. clearly something in the water there that's allowed them to build on that and produce and get up to this level. Portuguese po- Portugal's secret weapon is their entire team. Yeah. But genuinely, that's yeah. the way it's panned out. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just... Amazing. Uh, we should probably talk about the game a bit because we talked about Portugal and North yeah, Europe, but not really the game. We should talk about Fiji and uh, the things they did and yeah, some of the specifics of what Portugal did. Yeah. Um, so Fiji, first and foremost, I hope to God that I labor was okay because yeah. they cannot afford to lose well, him ahead of the England quarter final. This week. is the really worrying thing, isn't it? Like I was 100% behind Portugal today but I will be even more behind Fiji next week. Yeah, that's it. But with that in mind, Have we ever seen a scenario like this, where a team, an underdog, has made a shock quarter final, having previously lost, you know, in Mm. what is comparatively for a quarter finalist, quite tragic circumstances the week beforehand? If you put yourself in Simon Lewis' shoes, that is what this is. Yeah, you know, is there a protocol for how a team bounces back from this? Closest, I think, is Wales in 2015, who beat England and lost to Australia, and were kind of in the weeds of that of that loss. Yeah, and that is drastically different to this. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right that probably is the closest thing certainly in recent history. Yeah. Off the top of my head very quick you know for a moment's notice to think about it. But because there aren't that many shock quarterfinalists. Come to think of it. Not a shock quarterfinalist, but France in 2011, yeah, lost to Tonga in the last round yeah. of the group stage. Yeah. Huge like shock upset and they were utter dog shit in that game. And right? who did they play? They then played England. A dodgy England team. A dodgy England team with a former second row in charge from yeah. the noughties who was clearly a very good motivator and not as good a coach as Steve Borthwick but yeah my point still stands and they've gone back to just kicking drop goals instead of having focusing on the attack they were working on they yeah. pinned off that attack and gone we're just going to kick the ball endlessly which I think England do need to do to beat Fiji next week yeah, I, think that, I think that I think that is probably what they will end up doing um yeah. it's reverting back to the way that they beat Argentina I think they're yeah there's a chance that they've kind of saved that back for all of the knockouts, including the Argentina one, which yeah. is to get to the knockout in the first place. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's impossible to kind of call how Fiji are going to prepare for this because, mm. you know, is the angle, lads, we've been let off because we're still in the quarterfinal, but that was shit, or is it? What an incredible result. We've come through that group stage and kind of hope that everyone forgets about the demons of Losing to Portugal, you yeah. know? I don't know what how rival is going to approach this. It could make or break them. Yeah. And part of the worry is, you wonder if it was going to be, oh, they won and they got into the quarterfinals, but at what cost, right? Yeah. They lost and still got into the quarterfinals, but at what cost? Yeah, exactly. Right? So you've got Bottier. That was a borderline mitigated tackle. That could easily be turned around and result in a ban. I think... He is going to lose a bit of sleep in the next yeah. couple of nights over that. I think he would be right to. Um, it's not my place because I'm not an adjudicator yeah. to say whether or not he is going to be banned for that. But I think it's very possible he's not in the clear. We'll put no. it that way. Um, I think that obviously we have Samuel to missed this game. Yeah, I'm not sure what his situation is. I'm not sure if he's got. It. I think he had a slight niggle. They wanted to rest. Okay, but or he was rotated. Yeah, I no, I believe it was a slight niggle. Okay, and they, they wanted to rest him. Um, if he doesn't recover or if things get worse, I don't know. Uh Wise well, Levu is their most important player, I think. Definitely. Without them, I don't see a world in which they beat England. Those are the three properly world class players yeah. in that team, I think. Yeah. Nitha Levu, and Bottier. Teddy Teller has been fantastic. Caleb yeah. Muntz is already out. Yeah. Uh, Teller obviously came off the bench. Hopefully he's okay and he was just rested, but he picked up a bit of a knock as well there. So hopefully he's alright. Um, you just and Tuasui as well picked up a who's been very good in this tournament, yeah. Um, also went off injured. You just worry that what if what and like, um, Sam Adavese was quite heavily iced up after you went off as well. well see, he's huge so, to them, actually. Yeah, he's probably the most important forward. He's not the best forward by a yeah. stretch because Lavani Botti literally exists, but he is so important to the, just. He's the glue of their set piece. Yeah, I said this in the video, but like, if Fiji are going to play well, Matavesi has to play well. He has to. He has, he has to. to. And he has done a World Cup. Yeah. Frankly, he's been one of the most consistent players for them. Yeah. Another spanner in the works I want to throw out mm. is Mangala at fullback. Yeah. He came in was excellent. Yeah. Obviously, Drosese has been fantastic for them, but Mangala was very serious about getting selection there. Mm. And you would imagine they're just going to go straight back to Drosese I would. because he's yeah he's kicked well is kind of the difference. Whereas Mangala, his feet are unbelievable. Yeah. Mangala's is a great option to have, but he feels like a player you throw in in the game like Portugal or like yeah, Chile or like yeah. you know Uruguay previously. I think you would most whack him on the bench. Yeah, maybe he's a game breaker who can come in, but also they've got so many options to can on that bench it, though, now because they've, they've got Hambossi they've got Ravidomanda, they've got mm. Rendrandra. Oh, Sova went off injured as well, didn't they? Sova fuck, yeah. Jesus that's not it's... a good day for them. You worry that have they picked up too many injuries? Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, speaking of Volando Bottia, obviously he scored a try. Hmm. Um, the Kind of breakaway try completely against the run of play straight after Storty had scored his. Yeah, uh, That was an insane couple of minutes. I know I'm talking about this in the wrong order, but it was, you know, a really good moment when Bottier stood up. as as just a moment of leadership if nothing else yeah. of like, no, I'm going to drag us back into this game if I have to. You know, um, Storty's try we should talk about a little bit as well. Yeah. The fact that it was... Um, the kick by Marx over the top that they regained in the first place then a kick on the front foot by Portea um, again just showed that they, this Portugal side aren't a one-trick pony yeah. they aren't just somebody who chuck it wide to their talented players and then hope for the best you know that, that was a really good bit of vision by Portea we watched a lot of this Portugal team leading in right João Portea wasn't doing that making that sort of play no six months ago no he has got better and better with each campaign and with each game in this world yeah Cup, and by playing against the best yeah. tens in the world and know? by watching and by learning and being well coached yeah he's just built and built and built and now his decision making is as good as any fly half out there yeah um his just ability to select kicks and a to kick has got has become as good as his ability to run an attack and manage a backline and get a backline flowing which was his big strength and his kind of boxer tricks nature which was you know his big strength previously uh which is why i was excited to watch him in this world cup I wasn't less expecting him to be as good as he has been. No, But neither. he has just built and rounded out his game perfectly and started to manage far more. I think... And you worry, like, or you feel that if Marks does retire or he does step mm. back at least, then he can now run the show a bit. Yeah. I think he, w- it was probably not unfair six months ago to say that he's kind of the foil for this talented backline. Mm. You know, he's the one who puts them in the space so they can do the finishing. Yeah. Whereas now I kind of think it's the other way around. Yeah. Like, he is the, the runner of the show. And then they're the guys that polish it off. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And that was very much, I think the storty's try is probably um a microcosm mm. of that. Um, but he's the ringmaster of the circus. Yeah. And Samuel Marks is the guy selling the tickets. Yeah. And like exactly. opening the tents and like cleaning up the lion's poo. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, he's the moneymaker, yeah. you know. But we have to and I know I'm jumping ahead here, but we just have to briefly talk about Rodrigo Marta's winning try. In fact, before we do that, let's talk about Rodrigo Marta as a player because um, Storty has grabbed more headlines in this tournament. Mm. Um, It would be like picking between my children, but I've always been more hyped about Marta than I have necessarily about Storty or Pinto um, or even Gwedash. But Marta has received very little space in this World Cup until he played against Australia and Marika just decided not to tackle all day. Um, and Marta suddenly was jetting off constantly uh, and had a couple of breaks there, but mm. didn't necessarily set the world alight. And I still just had it in the back of my head and I had an all tournament that he's going to have like a properly like game-breaking, ga- groundbreaking moment. Um, and look, he left it late, I will admit, but I was so glad for that because I yeah. love watching him play. Yeah, I thought he has been quietly excellent. One of the things I've brought up about him before, but like he is unbelievable under high ball. He is. You know, like, he's phenomenal. Uh, He always has been. Like, you say he's not a technical winger, Mm. but he is good at those things. Yeah. He can defend. He can run unbelievable support lines. I've always thought that was the thing. Like, Storty's the superstar, and he is the, like proper like winger's winger yeah you know like every skill you possibly mm-hmm. want from a winger including finishing from positions which he has no right whatsoever he is phenomenal at and he was the top scorer in all the professional rugby last year uh, last season just gone <laughs> he's their top try scorer of all time age 23 <laughs> yep um he just scores tries he just scores tries and he is phenomenal at it uh we brought up on the last episode we talked about him some of the kind of defensive qualms from slotting in at thirteen, but that's because he is now an out winger. He is just a winger, he is like obviously can play thirteen, perfectly good at thirteen, He's also capable of playing fullback at a push, but he is such a winger and we see that on that try, right? Like you look at that try and it is two players of the absolute sharpest who are being coached to let them play rather than being coached to stick to a system. Yeah. So you have Storty on the blind side, picking and going down the blind side with the sort of play that certain coaches were trying and drill out of someone as yeah. a high risk play but instead they're going no if you see space go for it if you see a chance go for it try so and take true. your moments and they're watching for marks they've had an eye on marks for the entire time they're not looking down that blind side they've left it go and Storty just like he's so electric he's so quick and he's so alert at all times he's just so sharp his acceleration's unreal yeah. as well and he gets away from the cover and then Marta's support line is it's phenomenal unbelievable, unbelievable. he's Tracked across from the opposite wing, he's initially looked to get into breakdown, and then the moment he's spotted that as soon as Storty has, and he hasn't sprinted, he's timed his run to get into position, so that when Storty takes the tackle, he's there to offload. from yeah. Storty as well so we can time it and run onto it at the right time. That's someone who's known him, has been playing with him for years and knows what he does and knows how to get on his shoulder. I think the point you make about Lajuske is really, really important Mm. because, for instance, you look at the, um, again, we've discussed it so many times, the cliche that people incorrectly use about Wales-Portugal, Wales-Fiji, sorry, from 2007, Mm. about, oh, they tried to play a Fijian style of play. The easiest thing in the world, the, the laziest thing in the world that a coach could say to Portugal in the week leading up to this game is, don't throw any loose, out-the-back offloads, any 50-50s, because Fiji will punish you, which is correct. That is a correct statement. However, instead, he has said, throw the offload. Okay, take risks, because I I trust that you're making the correct decision. Yeah, Um, Raphael, if it's on down the, the blind side, if you find that space, take that risk. Okay, you might get pushed into touch, but I back that nine times out of ten you will make the correct decision. The thing is, right, since Raulu's come in, he has tempered Fiji by ten percent, right? So they are ten percent more sensible than they normally are, and that's been enough to calm them and cut out. You know, by tempering them ten percent, they've cut out thirty percent of the errors, and suddenly Fiji, without thirty percent of the errors, are. 90% more likely to win the games that they're normally getting close in. Yeah. And so they win that game against Australia, they come very close to beating Wales, and they managed to hold out against Georgia in Georgia's best performance in a couple of years. Like I think Georgia were better in that game than they were when they beat Wales a year beforehand. Um and so you have this Fiji team who are sensible, who are far more composed. What Portugal did was they dragged them into a game that Fiji wanted to be playing where they're not sensible, whether they are 10% 10% sillier than normal. That's a normal. really good point. Never mind than Raiwa Luiz pulled them back to. They dragged them into not managing the game. Yeah. They dragged them into a Fijian style of play by being so loose. And knew complaint. these passages just back and forth. For a Which gave team. them a chance yeah. to win it. Yeah, it, yeah, it didn't yeah. make them a better team at playing that game than Fiji because they're not. But yeah. it gave them an opportunity to win it. And especially with them having Botitu in at 10 who's... Not perhaps a regular fly half. He is loose he is, as hell. Like, yeah, he's played ten in sevens plenty. I consider is, him a crash ball centre. Yeah, played mostly wing and centre. Uh, props a and player, but yeah, yeah. Um, he, I don't know. Like I hadn't seen him play ten in fifteen. before. I've he never played, seen him play ten. I didn't yeah. know he could. Yeah, yeah he played sevens. You know, but um, he you know has played yeah uh, kind of inside. Perhaps short sighted by me, sevens, but yeah, but yeah, not so as uh, international ten. Which I think was an interesting call, uh, very much trying to rest um, uh, the Teller yeah, before the knockout stages. Um, Mangala at fullback was obviously brilliant, but his first instinct is always to run. He's a seven yeah. specialist, yeah. There, likewise Raptimard and Habosi on the wings who are brilliant, break tackles like nobody's business, beat defenders like nobody's business, and that's all what they want to Both do. Both unbelievable talents, yeah. yeah. Uh, you also don't have like the settling presence of Semi as well, Yeah. who's played hundreds of games of test rugby, yeah. or of professional rugby. And has dominated yeah. hundreds of games of, te- of professional rugby. So you're rugby. left with the one kind of big calm head in the team being nice to who's then carrying an injury and having to manage that. Yeah. All of it, And he's the defensive to, captain, yeah. you know, and you're getting all the game management on him. Like, how much can you put on one guy? And Frank Lamont is a brilliant player and a great game manager, but also his natural game is Fiji rugby. Yeah, yeah. He can't do it on his own. Yeah, If he is the third or fourth main game manager in your team, he'll be excellent at that. If he's first, then you can forget about it. And you suspect there's a lot of what, perhaps, Raiwa Louis wanted them doing wasn't Mm. happening in that game. You know, he said afterwards, like, Portugal deserved to win that. Like, we were just, we had too many areas, we were too loose. And they were. Like, that was a... It's funny because England is trying to do the exact opposite to them next week, where they try and suck them into a really tight game. And I think Fiji will actually respond to that better than what Portugal did by sucking them into a really loose game. Yeah. And that could go any one of two ways. It's so hard to call that game. Yeah. um, The obvious thing to say is that England will learn from their mistakes uh, in the warm up and will pull away and win it quite comfortably. But also, again, like this Fiji team have learned to manage games and are a genuine threat to them at this point. Like, they're not a novelty Fiji circus act as we've yeah. seen in World Cups gone by. Yeah, which is a really exciting, really interesting thing. I think we're we'll, going to try and do a World Cup preview at some point. Something we'll like yeah. that, we we'll figure yeah. that out. But But that's the thing, right? So... This Portugal team, on the other hand, have come in the complete opposite direction, have played incredibly loose, incredibly open, sucked them into that game. It was like a reverse Warren Ball situation where the first half is spent getting them to play incredibly loose so that they yeah. can open up and eventually. The moment one try came, you knew the damage burst and both yeah, tried, yeah, and, like, scored so tries. Yeah, they had so many more in them. Yeah. yeah, But you knew once one team scored, provi- actually, if Portugal scored first, you felt like this is going to be back and forth and both teams are going to score That game was never going to end 8-3. No. Put it that way. No um but i worry like if fiji had scored first would portugal have struck back in the same way I don't, know. I, don't know, I don't know yeah i don't know but we didn't have to worry and do about that cuz sorty managed to get that brilliant try early on yeah um it was just a bloody exceptional game and such a performance by portugal like on every Every level you can possibly be entertained by rugby. You know, in terms of the fearless defence and the tactical side and the kicking and the everything, as much as the running and the entertainment and the offloading and the pace and the sidestepping and all they that. They have it in them to be the perfect rugby team. They do. And they do. that is definitely me getting carried away because of won one game. And I don't fucking care. Come on Absolutely. Me. Absolutely. I think we should more or less wrap that up there. But... Yeah. I think before we do, I think what we should do is at the end of this, we should put on the Francisco Isaac clip. We should put on the um, the mm-hmm. quote uh, that he put on Twitter, because I do think that that is something that really sums up the spirit of Portuguese fans and the people who have been willing for this to happen for, you know, what, 16 years since they last qualified for a Rugby World Cup. Um, and I couldn't be more happy for them especially with the fact that they do it with such an enjoyable team to watch and such an enjoyable style of play. Absolutely. Could have put it better myself. Um, we'll drop that on in a moment. However, I do first, I think there is a very important thing that we need to... <laughs> it's a there's, a there's a very important thing that we need to be hearing, celebrating, using to bring this, this to a close. Because look, the thing is, the DJ in the stadium got this bang on. Yeah, it's the Portuguese living party, man. It's the Portuguese and living party. This is what this whole podcast has been. This is Portugal's World Cup anthem, recorded by uh, I believe they're Zutos and Popolanes, who are apparently a huge band in Portugal. Yeah, apparently they're just enormous, uh, and they recorded the rugby anthem. <laughs> I love it. And they played this about four times back-to-back in the stadium, and I loved that. Yeah. The absolute scenes on the full-time wish something else we need to talk about. Yes. Like, it's who just was, who was it that was in tears straight away? All of them. Yeah. Everyone. There was somebody who was in tears, and unfortunately I didn't recognise him face It might have been times actually, mm. but whoever it was, it was a heroic image, and especially Tadja, uh, Tadja, rather, like... I'm just so thrilled for them. Me too, me too. It's the first of many. This is a moment, hopefully, we'll look back on and be like, oh, in the same way we look back on Japan in 2015 and go like, oh, remember when we were really happy for Japan because they'd never won a game before? Yeah. You know, hopefully this is something they build on and they become a force. And I think it's entirely possible that this Portugal team make the knockouts one day. Mate, they're winning the 2027 World Cup. Yeah. You heard it here first. Well, this is the thing, right? So expansion to 24 teams. Has to be done now. I don't yeah. think there's an argument otherwise. This yeah. was the last team to qualify. They should almost didn't make good. it. It was the last kick of the last game of qualifying that got them into this bloody World Cup. Sammy Marks again. And they beat one the quarter list The level of talent, the level of ability that is outside this World Cup is huge. Yeah. Right? Spain qualified. They should be in this World Cup. Canada would have lost every game by 70 points. So forget about them. Bloody, the Netherlands are growing at such a quick rate. You've got Paraguay, you've got Brazil, who've recently invested in huge high-performance programs. You've got all... Colombia's, you know, looking to start building in the same direction as well. You've got so much going on in terms of the growth of European rugby, of South American rugby, of all of this outside of the traditional nations, right? World rugby needs to be doing more to champion these nations, but so do all of the individual Tier 1 teams. Both yeah. going for the national teams and for the clubs themselves, and a lot of people are putting a lot of the hate on the World League at World Rugby in particular, and Bloody Beaumont and whatever, yeah. because Beaumont was backing it heavily. <laughs> it Ultimately, is. right, this World League is owned co, like co-owned between the Six Nations and SANZAR, and. Those two organisations own this between them and are running this in a way that overpowers to and essentially World Cup ring fence yeah. those guys. Yeah, you know. And here's the thing, right? Since it's being run by those two nations and they're having those teams and two guests, what's going to happen, right? Is those ten teams are going to be locked in place? They're going to be fine when promotion relegation enters. If it does in 2030, which is the earliest that will be available, seven years time. Yeah, right. It'll <laughs> only be. It will only be. The Fiji and Japan is, as it's likely to be, the two invitational teams that are able to be dropped down. So the lowest ranked of one of those will play off against whoever wins the second division one. Yeah, And that'll mean that the likes of Italy, the likes of Wales have a bad spell, if Ireland drop off a cliff, if whatever happens, all of that, if New Zealand go down, you know, Australia, the state, whatever. Um, if, you know, George Ford, mi- George Ford starts missing his drop goals, whatever it is that happens, that won't matter. It'll inevitably be only the two teams that are invitational right meaning portugal essentially locked out or they won't be getting games against the teams like italy the teams like georgia the teams like japan who they can be beating who they can be pushing on and it should yeah. be the you know big chances for for growth um the world league is a horrible idea and a lot of that should be landing on the individual nations we also should be looking at club teams and lobbying teams to be signing more i think what we need to be seeing is a relaxation of the rules surrounding um you know players coming through for for their particular unions outside of France, everywhere else, um, for many reasons. Partly, you look at the financial state of the game, right? And people are spending bloody millions on All Blacks when actually, if you relax those rules, you can start bringing in a Portuguese player who maybe isn't as good as a former All Black. Who's better? But, like, yeah. But, like, you know, so look, if you had a choice, maybe you can spend, I don't know, like 75, uh, 750 million, seven hundred fifty thousand on signing. You know, um, not Sopawanga, who's another like former recent All Black. Nolly Lau might Yeah, I was thinking like a Fly Heart. You know, like okay. signing, you know, signing a, a Bowdoin Barrett type, signing Mawanga, say, let's say Richie Mawanga, yes, yeah, so like for, you know, um, 750,000. Or you can spend, you know, probably like 50 grand yeah. a year on signing John Reportea, Portea, who is 10 years younger, who is going to cost you such a smaller positive price it stops this wage inflation that's got out of control in the premiership and in the top 14 in the usc to an extent yeah uh, outside the lens to where they're just fine because they've just got a billion 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 dollars anyway um and hopefully it'll allow just growth of the game just growth of everything and hopefully it allows you to have a wider pool of players that you're selecting from and that you're bringing in and it doesn't have to be either a huge huge name or a local player um, here's the thing would you rather sign Mm. Uh let's say uh Nunes Sushaguedash, Sussur- Sussur- um Manuel Cordasso Pinto and Rodrigo Marto would you rather sign those three or Curtly Arenser? Yeah, which exactly. Which would you rather sign. Exactly. You know? I'd rather bring in the three Portuguese lads. Yeah. You know. Like all three of them yeah. will have a much lower wage for the three of them all together than just to sign Kurtley Aronser, who is a world class finisher. Yeah. And I don't know, I just think there's a world in which we can be do every every part of rugby we can do more to yeah expand the game literally everyone involved every journalist every writer every fan every bloody you know administrator every marketing person in a club every you know like person that's just like tuning in and watching the odd game on itv this was an itv bloody four rather than one yeah like that game that should be i think this is it the moral of this story is at the moment, tonight, we are all going mad for Portugal. Once we finish recording this, we're both going to you know, open up phones and see loads of notifications of people celebrating these Portuguese yeah. players, like all individually and so on. Let's keep this fire burning. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do absolutely. this all year round for the next four years before the next World Cup, for the next qualify. Let's make sure that we champion these players constantly. And it's not just Portugal, that's Chile, that's Uruguay, that is... Like any tier two rugby nation and player that deserves celebrating let 's talk about them let 's make them household names to rugby players and let's to, to quote Francisco when we get to his his thing support them, support yeah. their unions, support buy their merch you know um, carry their brand everywhere, and just just talk about them yeah. champion these guys and make their names heard absolutely couldn 't have put it better myself, but someone that can put it better is Francisco.
0: No words. I'm trying not to not cry and exactly. get completely emotional because it's hard. Uh, this is not about only about about Portugal. it's about the whole fucking two, t- tier two nations. A fucking bad name. Sorry for the cursing. But after I haven't slept for almost two days. It's it's mental. Uh, what you've seen in the pitch could be translated outside of it not only for portugal but everyone who fights for a better morning we just have to push for things and work for it and 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 shout and go with our heads to the floor and put our shoulder in it and believe hi for you all thanks for for helping this trip it's one well, for me it's, almost 12 years of reporting and so on and playing at the same time. I cover. I, I did stream for the second division in Portugal. I did a lot of things, but this is the most special moment of my life, and thank you all. It, Jesus, thank you for your love. It's amazing what you have done for us, for Tier 2, tier two community. Worry about Romania, worry about Georgia, worry about Chile, worry about... Uruguay, work for them, see their games, buy their marketing, buy their, their things, go for it. Don't just stop after the World Cup, please, don't stop for it. Because if you, are, if you stop, the guys who are at the top won't, won't even blink an eye. So keep going at it.
1: Thank you, Francisco. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Portugal. for Forfa. Absolutely. What a day. What a day.